Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast that is on a slippery slope to becoming a meme appreciation podcast. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the Disney animated film, The Emperor's New Groove. Directed by Mark Dindle and produced by Walt Disney Animations, the film premiered in the year 2000 and is the studio's 40th animated film. The film follows the self-centered Kuzco, an emperor of an unnamed Incan empire who is unceremoniously transformed into a llama by his advisor Yzma and kicked out of his kingdom. Reluctantly relying on the help of a village leader named Pacha, the two set off to return Cusco to his throne. But will their disagreements prove too much for them to surmount? Comparatively, the film performed under other Disney films preceding it, grossing $169 million on a $100 million budget, coming under films like Dinosaur and Toy Story 2, but found success outside of theaters, becoming the best-selling DVD of 2001. Despite its sales, it was received well by critics for its humor and the voice acting. And, as always, there will be spoilers. So, much like our Wallace and Gromit episode, uh, The Emperor's New Groove had a very solid spot in my childhood. Uh, it was probably, for me, my, the most watched Disney, uh, Disney movie of my childhood. It's definitely the one that I know the most uh, familiar, I know the most intimately. Uh, we always had it, I think, on VHS, not DVD, way back when. Uh, and just at whatever parties we were at, or if we just had some downtime at our home and had wanted to put something in the background, we put The Emperor's New Groove in the background. And I was re-watching this. I, I forgot how short the entire movie is. It's just a over an hour and 10 minutes or so. And to me, I think it holds up really well. Uh, a lot of the humor in the, uh, in the film is quintessential millennial humor, I think. Uh, the humor has also survived on in a lot of memes that we see on the internet uh, everywhere now. And... As I was rewatching it, I forgot the hilarious fourth wall breaking moments that Cusco, um, Kronk, Isma, everyone pretty much has their time to crack a couple jokes. Um, and I mean, the story is a typical Disney story where like uh, our characters are set off on a journey and they learn something new. But it's different in the way that Cusco is kind of an irredeemable asshole at the very beginning. <laughs> Uh, so seeing him change as the movie goes on is, I think, a pretty refreshing take on the, the Disney formula. But this movie is by far, in a way, my favorite Disney film uh, of all time. But uh, what about the rest of y'all? What were your first impressions of uh, The Emperor's New Groove? And uh, what were your first experiences? Okay. So. I, 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 I'll, I'll start with this. Apparently, I watched this movie a ton. I don't. Re I didn't remember anything about this movie. Absolutely oh, the brain damage. nothing. Yeah, the brain damage has struck. Um, I was asking my brother this, and he's like, "No, you've seen this like a lot." I'm like, "Are you are you kidding me? I literally, 
I just watched, I, re- I rewatched it, I guess, today. And I'm like, I have, I have no memory of this place. Um, <laughs> so with that being said, this is basically the first time I've watched this movie. And, um, <laughs> well, it definitely has style. <laughs> like, it has this thing that, it, that it's going for. And for the most part, it really succeeds. The sort of, like, the, the humor of it. Um, I legitimately laughed out loud at most of the things that Kronk said. Because Kronk is, is amazing. <laughs> He's like... Is he like the first Disney himbo? I don't know. Actually, no. There was... Who was that guy? Oh, that my God. Gaston. Five minutes in, and we've already got the first Disney himbo <laughs> on the dis- table for discussion. Yes. Damn. Um, prove me wrong. Um, and uh, there were some really clever sort of humorous moments that weren't actually fourth wall breaking. That was just really funny. Um, I don't know why. The, the lever. The lever got me. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but the lever joke got me. Obviously, they do it for for laughs the first time, and then when they did it for the second time, it was at the very end. I'm like, oh god, that was actually genius. Um, I think overall, like, it's it's one of those things where I watched it and I was like, okay, that was solid. It kind of felt very, uh, it, it felt very fabulistic. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's very like, you know. Guy who has no morals is, like, forced to undergo some sort of trauma, I guess, and learn from all the mistakes. And, like, all the times he regresses, you can see he's, like, immediately punished, basically. And then, like, eventually becomes a better person. Um, And so, it, like, you know, it felt very simplistic in that way. But I think that the framework of the movie itself being the sort of, like, really humorous uh, comedy-esque thing with some moments of, like, genuine, like... Uh, learning, I guess, and transformation. Um, I would say it's it's pretty solid. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's my it's my favorite Disney film, um, albeit I've only seen this now as an adult, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think it's ultimately very solid. Uh, that's all my thoughts I have there right now. Yeah, in response to your point about it being very much like a fable, I honestly sort of had this moment earlier Um where it's like, this story at its barest bones is kind of similar to Beauty and the Beast, right? At least in the premise, you know, if not the actual, like, action content of it, you know? Like, rich noble, you know, of some kind, uh, has never had any problems in his life and has grown up without any kind of moral code. And then, you know, an elderly woman magically transforms him into an animal that forces him to undergo some trials that ultimately end up in him, you know, getting a moral compass, becoming a better person, you know? And Beauty and the Beast is very quintessentially fairy tale, fable sort of material. So I'm I'm absolutely in agreement with you that it has that sort of essence to it. And, you know, I would say that this certainly takes that essence of Beauty and the Beast and really kind of throws it at the wall and watches it kind of like <laughs> slowly, you know, move down the surface where it's like, you know, they start off the movie with Cusco narrating the fact that he's a sad llama in the rain and that he's a pathetic loser. Like, they they simultaneously show that he is an irredeemable asshole while making him somebody that the audience immediately can connect with and be like, oh, I feel bad for this guy, but at the same time, I don't feel bad for this guy. It's a, it was a pretty clever way to introduce an otherwise really hateable character. 
like in mm-hmm. most other contexts and like the fact that they kind of lead with that and then they you know uh introduce you know yzma and kronk as two other characters who are you know kronk is a good guy yzma is similarly pretty irredeemable but the fact that you know she has this dynamic with kronk makes elevates both of them to a point where they i honestly believe they carry the entire movie like john goodman gave, gives an excellent performance as pacha and you know there is that you know that journey aspect of it but i think this movie really does stand on the legs of its comedy and in that in that respect uh yzma and especially kronk really they i i mean again i would not say this is the 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 best disney movie or, or the funniest disney movie but they certainly bring something that not a lot of other disney animated movies do and that you know there are a lot of like you know obviously the memes but just you know gut busting laugh out loud moments that you don't see a lot uh in the in movies of that time so yeah i had a great time watching this movie today and rewatching it yeah i absolutely think you're correct there i mean the this is at its core right it's comedic you know you have this framework of you know the the great grand journey the sort of magical realism this uh kind of quest of you know, redemption or reinstatement, whatever you want to call it. But at its most basic, the reason anyone loves this movie is because of how goddamn hilarious it is. You know, and I think that uh, it's really not afraid to just do whatever the fuck it feels like at any given moment. I mean, there are some just truly beyond ridiculous moments in this movie. I mean, I'm actually kind of, as I'm speaking, reminding myself of some of the things that I said about Shrek when we talked about that on on this uh, podcast because, you know, there are so many moments that are just absolutely hilarious that feel completely, you know, not germane to the actual content of the plot. You know, uh, it's... it's they're, they're, they just go for it, it full-heartedly and it really plays out well for them. Um, you've already mentioned the pull the lever cronk scene, which to me is just like the the quintessential moment of this movie. It's like the, the everything that makes this movie great distilled down to one you know little gag. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, but I guess uh, I guess I'm actually out of thoughts. <laughs> I thought I had one more. <laughs> well, I mean, we can dive right into our favorite moments and favorite characters. Oh, I just uh, remembered actually. Sorry, sorry. I just remembered the thing I was going to say. I think a lot of the strength of this movie is that they they do a very great job writing lovable assholes. You know, they do a lot of great uh, good work. You know, writing characters who are bad people, but that you love to like get along with anyway. Cusco, of course, being you know the prime example, but even Kronk too. You know, also sort of fits this mold. And Isma, of course, you know, is the other way around. You love to hate her, you know, because of just how cartoonishly villainous she is. And, you know, the evil laugh and the, the, the like, the scheming and the conniving, it's, it's hyper-intensified. Um, but you love to hate her, right? It's fun to hate Isma and want her to lose in the end. I'd personally argue that Kronk is doesn't really fit into either category. He's just a lovable idiot. Um, <laughs> everything that comes out of his mouth is just hilarious. It <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Uh, but yeah, let's dive into favorite characters and moments. Um, and I think I'm going to have to steal Yzma as my favorite character because just the way that uh, her voice actor, I can't remember her voice actor's name. It's uh, Eartha Kitt. Uh, Yes. Uh, the way that she 
puts life into this character, especially in like the screams of, like you said, the pull the lever cronk when she screams when she goes down. When she turns into a cat, I think, is the culmination of that voice acting ability. Um, but yeah, everything that Yzma does, uh, she's, she's, she's such a good antagonist for this kind of film. She's hilarious. She has these, like you said, great dynamic moments with Kronk. Uh, she's equally as irredeemable as Cusco. I think uh, this, mu- this is my favorite scene, but her introduction when she's talking to the peasant, she's like, uh, oh, what was it you needed uh, that you required of us? And he's like, um, food. <laughs> and she's like, oh, yes, whatever. And she like sends him away. Uh, just just establishes her character instantly. Um, but I... I think my favorite moment of the movie, I'm trying to pick one that isn't a meme, isn't something that a lot of people have already picked. Um, I guess the one that sticks in my mind most memorably memorably as a kid is uh, Pacha slurping up the (laughs) the (laughs) roly-poly. I don't know. There's something so visceral about that that action and as a kid i i was the kind of kid who would watch animal documentaries and pretend to eat food along with the animals so it was like viscerally satisfying for me wait okay. did you really eat that's alex so cute origin story what the fuck alex that's adorable <laughs> holy shit alex the carnivore <laughs> exactly it was oh, it was nature documentaries the lion and... king <laughs> <laughs> exactly we'll talk about that later um but I think the funniest moment for me on my rewatch was when they were chasing after um, Cusco and Pacha, uh, and they see the map markings on the ground. <laughs> and, what was that? And, and, and Kronk and Yzma just like look at each other, and they shrug, and they just keep going with it. Oh, and, and I mean, also, that, sorry... If, and- to add on, and when they actually get there, like, how did you get here ahead of us? And you're like, no, yeah, oh, that was my honor. <laughs> no, I, 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 no, you can say, you can no, say. It, no, it's just an honor. It's not I, my first. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to say that one moment pretty much summarizes the entire absurdity of this film, and it's why I love it so much. Yeah, no, for me, I think I will have to go with Kronk as my favorite character just because he's so fucking stupid and you love to just watch him get sucked down these (laughs) rabbit holes of these side tangents. And there's, I feel like, not a lot of characters that could carry that kind of humor as well as Kronk does. I mean, when he starts, like, talking to the squirrel, when he starts, like, he, you know, he asks for a special order and the cook quits, so he starts, like, running the restaurant. He's like, he's like, oh, all right, this is what I'm doing now. He just puts on an apron, the fucking tiny <laughs> tent he sleeps in, the whole, like, you know, his, his many iconic one-liners, you know, Cusco's poison, the poison, made specifically for Cusco. Um, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Such a great, um, like, comedic foil to Yzma. Uh, and the moment we just mentioned was going to be my honorable mention, but my favorite moment, absolutely, has got to be the angel devil scene at the very end where he's got like the 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 knife and the potion and everything and he's like looking back and forth between them and then, then we just cut over to Isma and Cusco <laughs> watching him argue with thin air and Cusco's like what the fuck and he's like I don't know oh yeah. my god it gets me every time <laughs> yeah that's so good 
the the honorable mention that Alex just said. I just wanted to quickly mention it's the it's like what do they say? It's like how did you get your heart of us? And she's like, how did we get her heart of us? And Croc pulls out the map. It's like I don't know. Well, I don't know. By all like, accounts, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so good. Um, I'm. A, I mean, I have to also go Croc because Croc. Um, my favorite His moment. Voice acting too. His the voice yeah. acting is so good. Like literally, he can make any word sound amazing. Patrick Warburton, you're a genius. Um, <laughs> my first of all, honorable mention for favorite character, not because they're like they're like barely a character, but I, I just wanted to mention um, Pacha's wife. I was like, oh hell yeah! Oh, yes. Whose voice actress is that? And I'm like, oh, it's Wendy Malik who plays Ida from the Owl House. Oh. Yo, wait, all I didn't right, know that. gentle listener, yeah. you know, sneak peek into our future. Um, but sometime down the line, we're gonna have an episode on the Owl House because I've already gotten Michael and Alex to get obsessed yeah. with it <laughs> along with me. That'll be a good episode. Um, I'll watch it when I watch it. Loki, Pacha's wife, the definition of gaslight gatekeep girl. Boss. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, it's like there's just turn the handle. Oh, there's no handle in here. Oh, oh, there isn't a handle in here. Um, anyway, so um, my favorite moment, aka my favorite scene, um, connected to Kronk, is the diner scene where when both Kuzco and Isma are ordering. Yes. At yes. Kronk. Yes. It, just the way it's choreo- choreographed and all of Kronk's responses are like, yep, yep, over easy. Yep, eggs. And then they're like, no eggs for me. Okay, no eggs. Like, no, I actually do want eggs. No, okay, eggs. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's such a really clever scene, honestly. And um, it's a, you know, you got to do it for the plot because like you can't just have it there. But it was, it was, it was amazing. Just like them going back and forth and all that stuff. Yeah, not much for me to say here that was favorite character, Kronk, favorite scene, the diner scene. I actually completely forgot about the diner scene on this rewatch. Mm. I I did not remember it being as part of the movie. Um, Although it kind of makes sense that it was there because that's like, that's the point where the the two parties kind of interact for the first time. So it makes sense. But yeah, that was a a hilarious scene as Pacha is like trying desperately to get Cusco out of Yzma's sight, but they keep ending up not seeing each other anyway so Pacha just kind of stands there like an idiot in front of like the statue trying to not look like the 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 most out of place person in this room uh but yeah that was was a great scene uh yeah great character too um I mean I do I, I do think this show has a certain sense of style to it we've kind of uh talked a little bit about it and battered around the bush but I think there's so many things in this show that comes together. The the animation, the backgrounds, uh, the music of the show as well just makes it into this really smooth viewing experience. And I, I do want to spend a little time on each of those topics. Um, and let's start off with the the setting of this film and the background of this film because we're put in this almost like, I don't want to say M.C. Escher-esque painting, uh, but there, it's a very artistic depiction of a Mesoamerica, of like the long rolling hills that like jut out at spikes and spires, of uh, the clouds which are perfect oval ellipses that uh, float lazily around. I mean, even the the designs of the 
the temple that they're in with the gigantic face where the water comes out of his nose or something like that. It, it reminds me almost of, um, what's, what's that film called? Uh, the Road to El Dorado, uh, just like stylistically. Although this one is more uh, concentrated, more, I, I can't think of a better word than smoother. And everything's like almost a caricature of of uh, that wor- that part of the world. Uh, but I wanted to get what your thoughts were about uh, the scenery and the background of the show, because I really think it ties all the scenes together. Yeah. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. But I feel like your comment on Smoother is like, I feel like there are more frames. Are there more frames? Like, are they not animating in twos? It really feels like they're animating at, like, 24 FPS. I, I can't... I, I don't know that for sure. But it really felt, like you said, it felt, like, very smooth. Wikipedia, um, here I come. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I th- like, the, the setting is very interesting. Um, not only because it helps, like, facilitate a lot of the, um, the comedy as well as the journey that they go on, um... I think that it, it's interesting. It like it. I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it doesn't. It's not. It's not in the forefront per se, but it like it helps support everything as like a good foundation for all of the things that are going on. Like, it basically kind of feels like they could do anything in this setting. Because there's, like, you know, there's a classic sort of, like, monarchical structure still, right? He's the emperor and there's villages, which is, but, like, but it's in Mesoamerica. So it's, like, it has this sort of, um, like, Latin style, maybe, um, that is sort of infused in the, the artwork as well as, like, the costuming and, I mean, the creatures, obviously. Like, you know, he's a llama, but there's also, like, the jaguars and the, um... And all the other creatures and stuff like that that are that are, that are native to there, um, so yeah, it's a it's it really it's like a it's like a it's a strong foundation. Wikipedia says nothing about the frames per second or, or whatever the production quality of this movie. So unfortunately, I have no answer there. But to answer, well, I, mean, I, I imagine it's going to be a variable thing, right? I mean, you know, like even even within the same movie, like you know, animating on twos or on ones is going to vary, like depending on what's happening on screen at any given moment. That sounds right, Iris. I will take your word for it. <laughs> um, but I will say that uh, I think this movie really does a great. Like, if anything, I feel like the the entire kind of Incan aesthetic actually flows very well with Disney's traditional style of animation for that time. A lot of bold colors, lots of, you know, kind of these this grandiose, you know, these buildings and these these palaces and stuff like that where there's a sense of size, a sense of gravity to things. And, of course, as, as Michael mentioned, like, there's this, the scenery as well, the rolling hills, you know. It's instantly recognizable as something that's, you know, I, I don't want to just say it's hilly, but, like, it's instantly recognizable as something that's, like, south american you know the south american rolling hills lots of plains and there's also the jungle uh but at the same time it's also instantly recognizable as something similar to the style of like atlantis or as you said you know road to el dorado like those movies of that time carry that same kind of style in the way that it still portrays 
very rich, vibrant Incan origins. And I think that was, you know, I, I, I'm honestly not sure if I give credit to Disney for like doing that because obviously they, you know, the animators are very talented there. But at the same time, it's like it felt like it felt like a slam dunk from the beginning. Like it felt like, you know, they made this movie exactly as they wanted to, and it turned out great. And that's because they're experts at their job. But like at the same time, yeah, it just felt like it all f- flowed very well. And I think uh, one of the things that I guess I will say is that there, there isn't too much of like an actual Incan cultural significance to this movie. I don't know if you guys have read the Wikipedia article to this movie because I have, but if you have, if you <laughs> haven't, it's they talk about the really tumultuous production uh, of this movie. How this movie started out as a vision that was very different from what the uh, end result was, and one of the the big things was that they tried to roll in a lot more of like Incan folklore into the you know the backdrop of the movie and the backdrop of the plot. They tried to throw in a lot of that cultural significance at the beginning but they ended up scrapping it because they wanted something that was a faster to produce that was one of the big reasons and b wanted something that was funnier wanted something that was you know just more like uh you know in your face comedy and you know whatever moves they made they certainly achieved their goal there so i think you know there's definitely something to wonder about what this movie could have been if they wanted to focus more on like incan cultural you know origins that kind of influenced uh, this movie where, you know, it, it doesn't feel watered down, but it's certainly a lot smaller than I think it might have started out as. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's an interesting point because, I mean, we've all seen the early Disney Renaissance movies of, like, different cultures where they seem to have their fingers in, uh, like, Chinese culture, I guess Indian culture. Um, and w- there's there's all obviously a lot of criticism um, that Disney has garnered uh, for, like, misrepresentation of those cultures as well and kind of whitewashing uh those cultures in their movies so it's interesting that they they did want to include these folklore aspects of it but then completely went the opposite direction for the end point um yeah and i mean the film really does not dwell too long on the fact that they're in Mesoamerica, that they're a part of this culture. I mean, Cusco could just have as well been swapped out with a similar monarch figure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting question on whether like the merits of being true to the culture would have gotten in the way of this like comedic effect. I don't know. We don't live in that timeline, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, but I, I do think, uh, like you said, Michael, the, the smoothness of the animation, uh, especially in a lot of the action scenes that we see here in the movie, are really fun to look at. I think um, the most fluid aspect or the f- most fluid scene I can remember in my mind right now is when Yzma and Kronk first go into the forest, uh, like right when he's talking to the squirrel, and Yzma is in the background dealing with, I think, like the bees. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the way that they like swirl around her head and they follow her literally looks like droplets of water. Uh, and throughout the whole film, I mean, there were moments that Kid Alec... Alex has as like core memories of um, the the guy carrying Cusco up the stairs at the very beginning and almost toppling off the stairs, but like riding riding himself back the other way. 
it, it really does pay attention to a lot of the physical comedy and physical humor within a 2D animation space. Uh, and so I wanted to get you a, a real quick idea from you all on uh, which parts stood out to you, which were like the most memorable um, visuals that you saw in this movie, especially in the gag comedy effect, because every joke seemed to have some kind of visual aspect to go along with it as well. Yeah, I think the the bridge scene where the bridge collapses and they're both kind of hanging from the ropes is a really good indicator of what this movie has as part of its comedy and as part of its animation. There's like, you know how like when Looney Tunes, like when some like when the floor drops from underneath somebody, but they stay there or like their <laughs> legs move in like a really fast circular motion, but they don't move anywhere like that's the that's they had that in this movie. And like, I, I again, I don't watch that. I haven't watched that many Disney movies, especially not from that era. But at the same time, like, I feel like. I feel like, you know, Looney Tunes kind of pioneered that. And this movie specifically really latched on to that kind of, as I think, as you said, Alex, physical kind of comedy where they actually have like the characters interacting with the environment in such a way that like it's not physically correct, but it does add to the comedy by the fact that like they're floating in midair or like they're swinging at each other, or, you know, flying in the rocks. And like there are a lot of moments of this movie where both, Cusco and Pacha would have just instantly died after hitting their head on a rock, but obviously they didn't. Like, I think that aspect of it is really, really the crux of what makes a lot of this movie's physical humor really funny. It's like, there's, it's, it's Looney Tunes-esque. It's like, that's what Looney Tunes literally built its reputation on. It's just funny moments where like, you know, you would see an anvil drop on uh, Wiley Coyote's head. It's the same concept. And I think, you know, there's a reason why it really works, and so it's the reason why it, it worked really well in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think the timing also, uh, what you were saying, Marcus, reminded me, like the timing of some of the jokes and the visuals accompanying it, them really, really make the joke even funnier. I think the most obvious example is the <laughs> the trampoline at the end, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where he's like, uh, Yzma has fallen off the building as a cat. And he's like, for the last time, we don't, we didn't order any trampolines. Then why did you have me set it up? And then she falls on and hangs there for a second before <laughs> rocketing back up. That that entire scene kills me every time. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Marcus, just wanted to mention that thing that you were talking about, where they were hanging in the air before they fall. That has a name, and actually, it's I'm pretty sure it's coined by the video game industry. It's called Coyote Time. Because oh, of the road oh, stuff. Yeah, there um, you go. Because people put that in video games where like there's a moment when you leave a platform that you are in midair but you are not falling yet. To oh, allow I could you talk to for so up. long about Celeste if we yeah, ever do like, a video <laughs> show. <laughs> I could talk for so long about Celeste. Um, um But yeah, like the 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 comedy of this film, it kind of leans into this sort of absurd quality that everything is sort of surrounded by. Um, like it, 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 like it's almost like a visual component or visual uh, analog to like dialogue that's breaking the fourth wall kind of thing where like we understand all of the stuff that's going on and so they're able to just do all of this ridiculous stuff for comedic effect uh, and it works um, I like the trampoline thing is like just hilarious that one actually made me laugh um, but like, 
there was this there was this moment near the end when all of the soldiers turned into animals, and one oh, of them was yes. like, "Can I go home now? I turned into a bear." And she's like, "Yeah, okay, fine, go ahead." And everyone else was like, "Okay, we're ready to go." It's just like I don't even know if it was even a visual gag, but it really it like felt like a visual gag to me. And God, I don't know. It's the humor of this movie is like so weirdly, like. Like, I don't feel like you could get this humor. And, and this is just, this is probably me just being like, I haven't watched a lot of kids' movies in a long time. And I feel <laughs> like this humor is like very unique to this movie. Like, that in the combination with the whole breaking the fourth wall stuff, like, they kind of just like turn the comedy to 11, but in a way that makes it feel genuine still. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there were so many moments in in this film that I mean like you said Michael break the fourth wall and I mean right at the very beginning is the most most poignant example of Cusco and sometimes it's for the comedy but I feel like a lot of it is for Cusco's kind of growth as a character because he's the I'd argue that he's the only one that really changes by the end of the film because Pacha is still Pacha. He's still the kind of caring, supportive village leader. Um, I mean, he supports Kuzgo through the entirety of his journey. Uh, and so I wanted to get a get an idea of what you all thought about Kuzco's arc. Because at the very beginning, we've established that he is this irredeemable asshole. And so did you think that his journey throughout the film was a good one? And do you think he earned his sort of redemption uh, near the end of the film? Yeah. How was that whole process for you all? Huh. Okay. That's a great question, Alex. I think I'll start with this. I think um, Kuzco, we see in many points in the film, is like basically what i'm trying to say is that i think they did a good job because they did it it wasn't like an immediate binary switch like it wasn't just like he's an asshole and now he's a good person like they have they like merge the two together and they like slowly transition between them like it starts off with like him legitimately being an asshole and be like yeah i'm gonna tear down your village what the fuck you're gonna do about it and then it goes to, like, you know, he saves Pacha's life. That's one thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I need you to get me back to the place. That's what I think. <laughs> and then, you know, it continues with, uh, and right before that, you know, it's it's him, like, literally tricking Pacha to be like, oh, yeah, take me back, and then I'm not going to do shit. Um, and, like, you know, when we get to the diner scenes, we can see him, like, start to sort of be, uh, like a like, a friendly person, I guess, and, like, have actual, like, conversation and dialogue with pacha but still this sort of like this inkling inkling like he doesn't know for sure if he if he is not the center of the world anymore right he's like going around and he's like you know ordering things and meeting new people and encountering other things and so it i feel like it was such a gradual transition that it felt like kuzco was able to earn his redemption um, and obviously all of this is juxtaposed against Pacha's sort of like 
kill him with kindness mindset, which I always love, by the way. <laughs> that, like, no matter what, Pacha is, like, always the good guy, and he's always guiding Cusco along. And so you can see through this, it's like Cusco was, like, catching up to Pacha's vibe. Um, and in that respect, I think that that part was done really well. I really want to emphasize, like, that last little bit there about how none of Cusco's character development would have been possible without Pacha. And I think in many ways, it's sort of easy to kind of overlook Pacha as, like, like the most sort of down-to-earth, the most, like, normal, if you will, character of, uh, or at least main character of the show. But truly, sort of this grounding presence, I think, off of which Cusco's arc is constructed. And uh, I will also add, you know, sort of in between, you know, insufferable imperial asshole and, you know, like strong resolve, you know, likable character with morals and a backbone. He does definitely go through this uh, kind of like piteousness, you know, this, this inf- you know, active helplessness uh, where you say, oh my God, Pacha, you have to do it for me, Pacha, no, kind of energy going on. And that's definitely not super attractive. But as you say, the fact that he you know, kind of turns this around and does start making efforts, you know, it's, and it kind of doesn't really work at first, but, you know, we are slowly seeing him become more and more confident in himself, right? Which is, I think, always the thing that he was lacking, you know, the, the, the confidence to do things under his own initiative rather than get the people around him to do it for him. Uh, and I, I, th- I think I'd have to agree, you know, it feels satisfying and honestly especially satisfying given that the whole arc takes place in such a short film like my goodness you know they they really do a good job making it feel gradual and earned and not forced even with the limited space available to them yeah completely agree and i I will emphasize especially that i think the the same scene i brought up earlier the one that we're on the bridge like we come, we come out, we come into that scene having just seen, uh, like, Cusco make the first like, good like helpful slash like morally right decision in regards to Pacha in the movie. Like he he actually does something that doesn't immediately benefit himself at the expense of Pacha. And then when they get to the bridge and Pacha falls through the bridge and Cus- and he's like help help Cusco's like. All right, uh, I, you know, you, you've proved your worth to me. I am just going to head on back to the uh, palace. Thanks for your help. Like, you get that moment where, like, if there is a bar, as Michael described it, like, that bar is going up, and then it drops back down a little bit, which I think really <laughs> adds to, you know, what Iris was saying, that, you know, this was this is a journey that was worked towards. This was definitely, you know, clear character development. And to, the, to that point, you know, like, that bar doesn't go up that much. Even at the end of the movie, like, obviously, Cusco's all buddy-buddy with the duty throughout at the beginning of the movie. But even still, like, you can tell he's not, like, squarely a good person at this point. Like, he is still, like, kind of has those selfish tendencies. But he's taken that first step. He's helped Pacha out. He has decided to help, you know, keep allow Pacha to keep his, you know, ancestral hill or whatever to live on. And, like, they both kind of, like, have this moment where they're like, thank you. I appreciate what you have come to do with me and how you have improved my life by not fucking it up, which I think is a pretty interesting, like, it's an interesting dynamic, especially with the fact that, you know, Pacha, as good as he is, loses patience quite a few times. Like, he's just like, I'm fucking done with you. 
you're trash and I really don't <laughs> want to help you, but I feel like I have this moral, like, upstandingness to help you. So I will do it. But let me make it clear, I hate doing it. Like, I think that aspect of it is also, A, hilarious, and B, another kind of interesting mirror to Cusco's gradual improvement in his behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pacha isn't, like, he isn't naive. He's just very kind. Uh, I mean, he could have been just uh, extremely, like, saccharine, nice guy, uh, but but he wasn't, and that made him even more human. And speaking more on the bridge scene, I that scene is the start of, like, right after Cusco, quote-unquote, betrays Pacha, um, their, their climb back up to the top and to get, like, the rope uh, is such a great metaphor. Like, they have to work together. They can't, like, push... One side can't push too hard. Otherwise, they're never going to get out of the chasm. And it comes back at the very end. I think that's, like, the most satisfying payoff when uh, the vial to turn Kuzco back into a human, like, falls into the sledge. And they look at each other. Like, Kuzco looks at Pacha. Pacha looks at Kuzco. And they have this immediate understanding. And they get into position and start walking up uh, the the side of the building. And it's, like, every... Uh, the true the true journey or the true prize uh, was the friends we <laughs> made along the way. Like, distilled into one moment in this scene uh, where they're, like, racing against Yzma to get to the top. And even before that scene, Kuzco makes the decision to save Pacha instead of get the the vial to turn him back into a human. And it was only because of those, like, trials and tribulations that we saw in Cusco going back on his word, Cusco still being kind of an asshole along the way, and then to finally ha- choose his, his, uh, his friend, this person who has supported him all along and stay a llama rather than let him die but turn back into a human uh, is, yeah, it's, it's, very, it's extremely allegorical. It's, it is like this children's story with a moral within an hour and ten minute long film. And I, I just love it because of that. Uh, and real quickly, we didn't talk too much about the music of this film, uh, but, I mean, on a rewatch, I, I really did love the music of this film. Uh, it's not a typical Disney film musical, which it kind of, I can imagine people going into the film and expecting it to be a musical just because of the opening number with, like, the Elvis guy singing, <laughs> um, which was a weird, weird uh, pop culture insert <laughs> into this Mesoamerican uh, country or, or kingdom. Uh, but yeah, what did you all think of the music? I personally really liked the jazzy undertones, especially in uh, the chase scene where where they see their map markings on the ground. Whatever music combination of like drums and uh, clarinets just like tickled all the jazz centers in my brain and made me pay instantly attention to that. Did you know that Sting composed eight songs for this movie? What? Wait, really? Excuse <laughs> that me? Sting? Sting. That Sting. No. No. You're kidding. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that's the case. So is this his first animation appearance before B-Movie? 
<laughs> I mean, in B movie, he actually appeared as an animated character. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not sure he's supposed to be the short Elvis-looking guy because he certainly doesn't look like that. I don't think it in, sounds like Sting in real either. life. Yeah, yeah, but, I don't know who's saying that, but Sting is involved in this movie. I'm pretty sure. As wait, oh, apparently I'm gonna have to listen to Sting now. Yeah. Tom Jones is the guy who sings the opening number. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I I agree with everything you said, Alex. I think there is a, a very strong... It's not... I mean, it is jazzy in a sense. But it's, there's a lot of trumpets. There's a lot of fanfare. It it plays into the fact that there is an emperor and his you know entourage and his palace. And there's, a uh, again, a grandioseness to it. Um, but it also serves as like a really good backdrop for like a lot of the really quickly... like. The speedy animated scenes where, like, things are happening a lot on screen and there's a lot of action and the characters are running and, like, there's a sense of urgency to it, which I think that number really adds to. Like, this is a movie that goes by very quickly and the comedy comes at you really fast and, you know, the runtime, as Iris mentioned, is pretty short. So there's a lot of action packed into a pretty short runtime and the music has to keep up with it. And I think that that, you know, that aspect of it is really... it, It adds a sense of, like... Like, I don't want to say it's speed. It's, uh, and I don't want to say it's pacing either. It's like the, the sensation of going very fast, <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time you're sitting in your seat. I'm really, I, I have no word for that. And I think I'll just, I, I will say, my comment, uh, I will say probably jazz isn't the best way to describe it. Swing, I think. That's, that's, an, yeah, 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 I think that's a better way to that. put it. Yeah, yeah. Cause swing definitely emphasizes that. You know, the movements of the characters with the movements of the music. So, By the way, apparently, there's like an unreleased documentary called The The Sweat Box. And I'm just going to read Wikipedia here. It shows the -the behind-the-scenes footage of Kingdom of the Sun, which is the original version of Emperor's New Groove. And I'm just going to read this here. It illustrated the slow and painful transformation from Kingdom of the Sun to the Emperor's New Groove, including director Roger Allers, musician Sting, artists and voice cast being dismayed by the new direction. Yeah, no, there is a whole big, like, uh, huh. kerfuffle during As I said, the production of this movie was fairly tumultuous. Wow. Hmm. Well, if we ever do a side podcast where we talk about the production of films we'll have to go into that but that's interesting i didn't i didn't realize this movie had such a tumultuous production uh cycle maybe that's why it's only an hour and 10 minutes i think in the in the like the original script of this movie yzma is supposed to like want to like destroy the sun according to like an incan legend in order to keep her skin from getting wrinkly because she believes the sun is wrinkling her skin and to be pretty forever she wants to get rid of the sun which is still really humorous in this in like just how ridiculous that sounds but it's significantly darker as like a backdrop to her character than what she ends up being in this movie so yeah pacha was originally uh voiced by owen wilson Wow. wow 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 And yeah, it, it says it used to be like a, a Prince and the Popper style story with magic elements. That's what it used huh. to be. And they were like, nope. I'll take I'll take that over Frozen. Please <laughs> give me. <laughs> hey, I like, I like Frozen. I'll uh, take that over Frozen too. 
Okay, fair. But I haven't actually seen that movie. Uh, uh, all right. Well, before we end uh, end this um, episode of the podcast, real quickly, uh, off the top of your heads, everybody, what is your favorite Emperor's New Groove meme that you've seen floating around the internet? I think my personally has to be uh, the Pacha, <laughs> the okay symbol of him like uh, his like when the sun in between frame right. face. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that I, that's got to be my favorite as a great reaction meme. So I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm just not in the circles where the Emperor New Groove new the Emperor's New Groove memes are there. Like I haven't seen a lot. The only one I've seen is, like, not really a meme, and it's just, like, a stupid, oh, oh my god, they did that joke. Which is just Kronk being in his tent. And it's like he's literally pitching a tent. Um, <laughs> I just got that! Yeah, right? <laughs> like, that, oh, it, fuck! I mean, I, I want to say it's intentional, but who knows? I'm sure it is, but, like... Oh, it's absolutely intentional. Yeah. The place I mean, it's the a, there's multiple layers to that joke. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, I got to go with the classic. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Yeah, that one's my favorite, too, for sure. Why have I not a seen plus. How have I a not plus. seen these? How have you not seen It's All Coming Together? Or or the perfect potship? Like, those two were, like, in vogue for a long time. <laughs> like we'll a- show it to you after, after this, Michael. Okay. Oh, no, never right, mind. Well, I, okay, fine. I have seen that. All right. All right. Well, that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This week's uh, YouTube video that you can watch online had to be something llama related. So I had to pick the classic uh, llama with hats series of video by Film Crow. It's by the same guy who did uh, Charlie the Unicorn. So if you've seen that, you know exactly (laughs) what kind of style and uh, disturbing humor that guy makes, so uh, be warned. Uh, But once again, thank you so much for listening, everybody, and you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.